Welcome back to another episode of VHS Files Presents The Horror Section. This podcast contains spoilers, adult content, and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. Now your hosts, Josh and Jason. Enjoy the horror. What's your pleasure, sir? <laughs> I don't know. What is my pleasure? <laughs> You're going to find out by the end of this one. <laughs> Ooh, whoa, hey, we're getting down and dirty already. We ain't even uh, 30 seconds into this episode. Hey, Jason, check out this puzzle box I got. They say if you solve such... this puzzle, your pleasures will come to life. Cool. What is it like? Is that what Victoria's Secret is? <laughs> <laughs> you have a bo- you have a box and some super hot model pops out of it. It's my pleasure for this evening, but no, no, more like demons that drag you to hell. How about that kind of thing? Oh, okay. So you're like talking about like working at Home Depot or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that box, the big <laughs> box store. Oh well. Welcome back to another edition of the horror section presented by the VHS Files, and uh, tonight we're talking a movie from 1987 called Hellraiser, one of Jason's favorites. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely, I like Hellraiser. I mean, how many of these movies did it make? I think there's nine sequels to this movie. There's only three in my book, but yeah. Well, I actually, even part four is kind of iffy for me. I really just go with the three. I, mm-hmm. I consider it a true ch- trilogy. Well, that's what I'm sorry. That, if, I, I think I'm, I only think the first three are worthy of anything. So, yeah. Because it's funny when you buy, go out and buy this anywhere, you usually get, you see either the first two or you get the first three. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's just goes in. But yeah, they made nine of these. So 10 total of Pinhead, which and that's not we're even, getting a remake. Yes, but I hear it's from our director of this movie, Clive Barker, who mm-hmm. wrote the original uh, book, The Hellbound Heart, which is what it's all based off of. But uh, I believe he, it was a court battle. He got the rights back yeah. to everything. So and that's why we're, he said he wants to just do it a better justice this time, which I think he did a pretty decent job for 1987, mm-hmm. especially with effects and makeup for that time. I think, I mean, there's some, things about this movie that aren't fantastic but it still uh holds a place in my little dark heart of horror <laughs> so i mean uh i mean i have i even got a couple shirts i couldn't find a hellraiser shirt to wear for the episode so i just threw on halloween close enough halloween hellraiser it all works there you go it all works in the same thing exactly well clive, i mean clive barker was known for his writing at the time and the, uh hellraiser was the the first opportunity they you know, that he had to direct and Mm-hmm. never directed anything before this uh jumped into a movie like like hellraiser and I, i've got to say like it's very impressive that he pulled this movie off being a first-time director oh yeah i mean you think other people who have directed their first movies uh i mean this is a pretty good well laid out movie i mean again there's flaws because if we pick anything apart we watch it had however many times we've all watched hellraiser i mean i know you and i have seen it we yeah. can't even count we we start to pick it apart, but we just enjoy the nostalgia of it of the first time watching it and getting to see quote unquote Pinhead, which mm-hmm. that's just the fan name. If you're not familiar with the Hellraiser thing, he's actually never really called Pinhead, but he's, I think they were end up referring to him as the priest later. Well, Clive Barker made a uh, uh, a penny go 
quite uh, quite a ways here. He had a budget of one million to do this movie, and ended up doing a box office of. Did you do your research? Of course. Hello, it's <laughs> me, Jason. I'm the one who gives you all the characters' names that you forget. I know. I count on you. <laughs> but it did fourteen point six million. That's so a chunk of change. Pretty good for your first directorial debut, and you actually make a money a movie that makes a decent amount of money. I mean, that's 1987, 14 mm-hmm. million is nothing to scoff at, but for a basically underground, you know, based off of a book that probably a lot of people didn't know, right? And the movie made that, I, I, I call that a win, yeah, definitely for Clive. It was enough to spark however many sequels, uh, this, this movie has, yeah. which is quite a few of them. Um, nope. I don't know if I have enough fingers and toes to count them. Yeah, I think you'd so. probably have to use most of them in order to get them down. <laughs> but uh, this was released amongst the likes of some other horror movies. Uh, a couple we've actually, actually three we've talked about already. A Lost Boys, Monster Squad, Near Dark, and uh, Fatal Attraction and The Curse came out around this time. Fatal Attraction is kind of a horror movie. I mean, I mean, she she cooks a bunny in a freaking pot on a stove. I think you. That, I mean, that's yeah, scary, man. Technically, you probably would call that a thriller, but I would classify that as a horror movie myself. So yeah, you know, don't piss off a lady. Don't cheat on your wife with a, with a crazier woman than your wife. She's gonna probably try to kill you. So <laughs> keep your dick in your pants, there, Michael Douglas. But this movie, uh, I would have to say, it, notorious for being. Uh, one of the goriest movies to, to come out at this time and probably still one of the goriest movies ever made. Yeah. I mean, well, it's right up there. I mean, we had, the, you, well, we had the thing, which we already talked about. We mm-hmm. talked about the gooey, nasty special effects of the monster and how the tentacles and the slimy, right. we get a lot of that right here. And um, I did my homework on this and the guy who did the special effects here, uh, Bob Keen, mm-hmm. uh, he's, been doing this a while i mean he did a great job here he was uncredited for work on star wars uh four and six wow. so now new hope and return of the jedi it was just small work i think he did but he went on to do waxwork nightbreed crawl Candyman, and uh, one of my favorite werewolf movies uh dog soldiers ah, yeah. and he was i mean some of it he was just a special but some of this he was actually the special effects supervisor i think he was on dogs right uh, shoulders so well the thing is the, work. like a movie like the thing you know it, it's very gruesome very gory but it's a different kind you know yeah, uh, you're talking about uh just deformity of the body and and monsters that we really have no no real blueprint of what they're supposed to look like therefore it just looks foreign to us you know um this was a different kind for me especially when i was a kid and saw this for the first time like <laughs> this is um you know you've got cronenberg who also does the the body horror stuff but clive barker is more of a you know sadomasochistic it's it all involves the the body and and the, you know all this torture and stuff and mm-hmm. it's uh it's one of those movies that on the first viewing it creeped me the hell out and it's it's probably still in my in in my memory bank like one of the creepiest movies out there i think it's funny that you said sadomasochist because uh originally i mean i think he wanted to name the movie hellbound heart after his book but they uh, i think the company said no no it's the original or had two working titles it was sadomasochist from beyond the grave yep. and what a woman will do for a good fuck <laughs> i didn't see that. gotta one. love clive barker yes I mean, I don't see why the second one didn't make it onto the movie poster. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, it's real catchy. We got fuck on there. I mean, I mean, Hellraiser's cool, but you know, no fuck in the name of a movie is going to, you know, it probably could have made at least 
17 million maybe instead of 14 a couple more million <laughs> but it was just funny you said that because that is actually i mean he's into that kind of lifestyle i think he's an openly uh gay man yeah. mm-hmm. you can see it through the whole movie yeah the, yeah, the bondage sure. with you know the chains and then of course the hooks and all that other stuff so yeah i mean you're combining he's, these two things with you know the human body and the 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 torture aspect of it um oh, yeah. and then there's you know with the human body comes sexuality because, you know, the naked body is just something sexual, you know, it's, it's one of those things. So when you try and blend it with this, it's, it's something that leaves an imprint on your brain when you watch it and the way it's portrayed within Mm -hmm. this movie. Let's go ahead and play the trailer and start talking about it a little bit. Ooh, from Stephen King. Hellraiser. Beyond any terror you have imagined. A nightmare. No. Unlike anything you have witnessed. Leaving anything for you to watch uh, the movie? <laughs> Hellraiser, a film by Clive Barker. We'll tear your soul apart. One of my favorite lines. I love that. I love that line. Yeah. Man, you went the whole trailer, dude. You actually, you must have liked the trailer. You let it go the whole way. Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> You know, there's a lot of visual stuff there, but I think it actually holds a lot of stuff that that's audibly good to to listen to. Yeah, that New World Pictures. Yeah. Do you remember when you would see that logo when you would like see a movie coming like on late night HBO? And, you know, the day before you had the Direct TV guide, and you're like, yeah. oh, because I mean, I'm going back because I every time when I watched this for this episode, I was like, as soon as it came on, even though I'm watching Hellraiser, I literally have flashbacks in my head of these other movies that New World Pictures had done. And I was trying to remember, and one of them we've actually talked about uh, was Heather's. Mm-hmm. But he, uh, they did Elvira, Creep Show, your movie, The Punisher with Dolph Lundgren. Damn right. Uh, Warlock, House One and Two, and a bunch of other ones. So I was just like, as soon as that popped up, I, I totally forgot it was a New World Pictures uh, production. And I was just like, you just start, automatically start thinking of all these other movies and trying to guess what it is this was one of those logos and it's mm-hmm. one of those that's synonymous with this movie for me. I think this movie burned such an imprint in my brain when I saw it, that it, it, I couldn't help but associate that production company thing with this movie. So yeah. therefore every time I saw that logo pop up, no matter what movie it was, I was, it was one in 10 chance that Hellraiser was about <laughs> to come on. Yeah. I think later I uh, was it. you remember the old dimension mm-hmm. films yep. opening? You, they, that's where Hellraiser went, and it was usually that, the later Halloween sequels, or a Scream movie. Yep. You yep. knew when that popped up, you were going to get probably one of those three mm-hmm. on late night TV or something like that. But let's get in the movie. I do want to talk about the score throughout this movie because the score is definitely a big part of it. Oh, yeah. Um, Chris Young yeah. did the score. Uh, very uh, orchestral, very dark, and definitely sets the mood for the scenes that you get through this movie. All right. 
I did my research for him, and he was just saying that uh, he did a lot of horror movies. A few of them recently. He did The Grudge and Sinister. Oh wow! Which an article I read the other day says Sinister is rated as the scariest movie ever per the human response for when it watches Sinister. Well, I, I beg to differ, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I I will give Sinister that it does have a very dark tone and it has a, a very dark mood, and um, I won't say. I mean. You and me have talked about this before. It's very hard <laughs> to watch something that will quote unquote scare me because yeah, what's that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's the thing that kind of turns mo- both me and you off about when we see these previews for new movies that come out, and it's the scariest thing since blah, or you won't believe this movie. And it's, I hate when trailers and all those uh, the the all that stuff. On the internet. To, yeah, just, tries to kind of beef up what this movie is. And, you oh. know, watching horror movies for as long as we have, it's hard to not go, this is not scary. <laughs> you yeah. know, I think it has aspects of being like, I I can see myself going back and visiting Sinister every now and then because yeah. it is very dark and I do yeah, think it's a cool. pretty, pretty creepy movie. But, I mean, you know, that whole thought process of a movie is going to scare me to the point where I can't sleep at night has never been an issue for me. Yeah. You're going to pass out. So that even that, that opening music sequence, uh, some of the stuff when things happen throughout the movie, that is, it's memorable. I mean, it's up there with the Halloween theme to me or not maybe that high, but maybe like the theme from phantasm or exorcist or something, it fits into there somewhere. So, well, I mean, uh, this movie opens with your your character Frank, and he he's getting this box. And the, I mean, you do, uh, there's a couple of things about this movie, and I think the reason it does as well as it does is because of the things that it that it shows. I mean, this puzzle box is a very iconic object oh, yeah. from a horror movie. It's almost just like the uh, the sphere from uh, Phantasm or the um, the the thing from Kroll. I don't know what they call it, but the thing that yeah. the guy throws and throws. Yeah, they stick out. Uh, it's it's almost like Excalibur. Yeah, from King Arthur stories. I mean, I mean, it's right there with Conan's sword and you know all it, that stuff. And you've got that combined with the the Cenobites that you get later in the movie. So it already had something banking on the fact that you were roping them in with this puzzle box because it's so mysterious. Yeah, and, and they don't give you. Well, I, I am not going to say that because I thought they didn't give you a whole lot with this in the beginning. You get the the surprise where he's solving the box and then the hooks get him. And mm-hmm. I completely forgot that there's an entire sequence after Frank is mutilated where you see this room with the spinning pillar and all of the body parts on it. And that's when you get your first introduction to... We call him Pinhead. I hate that we call him Pinhead. <laughs> but um yeah. But Doug Bradley doesn't mind, you know. Yeah, I mean, but I I forgot about the whole sequence here where he he's putting he's taking the little pieces of Piece flesh of face. and putting it together and all of a sudden it comes together and it's a face and it's like this is where you get this okay, this is not going to be a light movie. <laughs> yeah, well, you see uh, Frank's body. All I mean, you see intestines and other things laying around because we we meet, like you said, Pinhead. We get the female Cenobite, which I believe her original name was Deep Throat, but they cut that. Mm. Uh, I think what's the other one? Butterball and Chatterer. It's cool that you kind of get to see them. I mean, it's been really said. It's just kind of there, and you're like, okay, these weird things came in and played with this guy's flesh. It's left on the floor, and then they disappear. Well, this is we're gonna go on into the movie, and I mean. Uh, 
this happens to Frank and we're not left with much than that. We don't even really get so much as a name from this guy, but he's he's who we're introduced to from the beginning. And then it cuts to this house that is a filth bucket. <laughs> oh, God, dude. I mean, Larry and Julia get there. Two of our kind of three main characters, um, they get there and they're walking around the house. I mean, we get that run through the house after the box thing and you just see it's nasty, it's disgusting. But even when they get in the house and they start mm-hmm. checking it all out, that part where Larry walks into the kitchen, see the maggots mm-hmm. and the roaches yeah. on the food. You're like, oh, God. And, hey, about this movie and those. It's one. It's the first movie where they actually had to have a maggot wrangler. Mm, yeah. So they had to the guy. A guy had to go around and gather the maggots after yeah. the shots were done, so they could use them again. That's that's pretty creepy. Yeah. <laughs> so we're introduced to Frank's brother here. I'm sure you've got his name because I don't. Larry. Larry, and uh, Julia, and <laughs> <laughs> that lady looks like a bitch from the first time you see her yes. walk in the door. She. If if Pinhead and the gore leaves an impression on this movie, Julia leaves an impression on me as well. She's the epitome of resting bitch face. Yes. <laughs> she, I mean, I could go down a whole kind of path about what I feel about Julia, but like, I don't understand her as this desired character in this movie. <laughs> it just seems so weird to have her as the focus here. I don't know, but I mean, I think he's kind of going for, she's dominant over Larry in a sense, but we find out later she's really the submissive. Right. In that lifestyle later in the movie. So I think that's kind of what it is. You pick up on a sense of that kind of early on because she doesn't ever feel like she's comfortable around Larry. Like from the moment we see them, she doesn't feel like she's comfortable around him. Well, we see that the, I think they moved it because they said that it was better than Brooklyn. So I think yeah. they moved there for a fresh start. So mm-hmm. I think maybe they've had marital problems, which right. we find out they've been going on since before they were married. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I think that's what it is. Maybe they're there for a kind of, because that's kind of what Larry's talking about, you know, moving into the old homestead because it's uh, his family's old house that right. his mom had and she died. And uh, it's full of, we find out full of religious artifacts everywhere. There's, yeah. Jesus's and weird, which adds another creep factor to all. Yeah. Of this. Like, I mean, there's a bunch of it everywhere and they're kind of weird, strange looking, you know, but, uh, yeah, you kind of see that there. And then we get upstairs and, um, this is when we find out something's going on because there's a bed on the floor mm-hmm. and Larry and Julie are there and, and they pick up, I uh, picks up this little statue of these people having sex. Yeah. And immediately he didn't even have to know anything. He went, Frank's been here. Yeah. And I like that they established that like uh, Larry and Frank don't have a very close relationship. Larry thinks very uh, down upon Frank. And the whole reason that he isn't already living in this house is because they didn't want to sell it or Frank didn't want to sell it or something like that. So they don't really give us a clear understanding of why all this has happened and why they're having to. I mean, I know they say that they don't want to be in Brooklyn, but like it seems like why if you don't like this house, then why is it even an option? Like. You know, it's one of those things that I kind of think about as an adult watching this now. But as a kid, I'm just watching a bunch of gory shit happen on screen. And what's funny as a kid, when she's thumbing through the Polaroids, I mean, as a kid, you don't know what the hell you're looking at. Because I think I was 10, 11 when I saw this movie. Frank's a kinky motherfucker. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You're like, oh, okay. And then we find the picture. And then, but Julia nonchalantly sticks it into her coat pocket. Just that picture of him with some other chick i think later and he she rips that part out that's when you really but, start to get an idea of well well you know uh, uh, yes. we talked about this movie being gory and being notorious for being gory and this scene where they're moving into the house 
and oh. they're in the attic and uh, Larry cuts his hand and the blood starts to soak into the floor. Oh, yes. We learn that, you know, we will, we learn as we go on, but we start to see that something's going on in this room and this regeneration of Frank is one of the grossest things I've ever seen. <laughs> like th- this Almost. scene in particular is what scarred me watching this movie for the first time. Like I could not yeah. believe what I was seeing on screen. And that's a, that's not a, like, it's amazing the way they do it. Like it looks phenomenal. And I think that's why it left such an impression on me is because like it grossed me out because I thought I was watching a person like regenerate. <laughs> it's very gooey and nasty. And uh, I mean, there's some of those effects still hold up. Now you see a little bit of the whole reverse photography thing and it's yeah. kind of like, hey, yeah. see but again, like the thing and even stuff like in the fly, because mm-hmm. there's some disgusting stuff in the fly yeah. is, you know, it's Cronenberg. Uh, it's just going to be gooey. And I think that's what's cool is here in the eighties, we didn't have just, you know, like in the old Gothic days, you know, it was just the, the skeleton in the corner or the zombie standing there, you know, mm-hmm. old black and white, which were still cool. And they the whole thing, but here in the eighties, we got gooey. Oh. everything was covered in slime. I mean, it was just, and I think that's what adds to the factor. I mean, even that part where it comes up in his brain forms and then the, it leans forward and you can hear it stab into the brain. Yeah. It, it, it burns into your mind for the rest of your life of what you just saw happen. Absolutely. It is, it is something that never leaves my mind from the moment I see it. And the movie doesn't do anything to make me feel any better moving along (laughs) because it (laughs) continues to just stay gross. And this movie did originally get an NC 17 rating and they had to cut some stuff out of it. Oh, I don't know why. Honestly, I still am blown away that it got an R rating because I mean, for 87, the, the rating, the ratings people were, were gouging movies like Friday the 13th for being too gory and all of that. Like, I can't even imagine there being something 30% as gory in a Friday the 13th movie as 90% of the gore is in this movie. Oh, yeah. I think so. I mean, it's right up there. And the MPAA ate up Friday the 13th, but this did not get nearly the <laughs> the attention. Yeah, in, yeah, I mean, they could have made Friday the 13th. You know, they're usually like an hour and a half movies. Mm-hmm. With all they cut out, they probably could have had like a two and a half hour movie. But they're like, no, you have to cut all of this out. We yeah. can't have any of that. But we're going to let you have this regeneration scene and this guy walking around and sucking fluids out of bodies. And, yeah. you know, yeah, we're going to let all that happen. But we find out it's her desire for Frank because should we get a flashback scene of her and Frank making out, mm-hmm. having sex in the pre-marital bed of Larry and Julie on top of the wedding dress. Yep. Yep. And with the blood comes in there, we find that's what sparks this whole between the blood and her lust for him is what helps bring him back. And I mean, this tells you something about Julia because she does find Frank up in the attic. And this is one thing I thought was very silly about this movie is I understand like, if it's been in your family forever and whatnot that you've been in every room in this house. But I mean, they're moving into a new house and Larry never really seems to get up to the attic much. I I just find it weird that Larry never goes into the attic or they don't even really put a whole lot of stuff in the attic. There's another room across from theirs that seems to be full of stuff, Yeah, but not the attic. 
Yeah, we don't know if it's theirs or the his mom's stuff. I think there's three doors there. There's three rooms, right. so there's not really even an attic. It's just a top floor. And if it's just a third, if it's just a third room that's there and not an attic, then that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the third one goes in the middle, goes upward. Because that's the only thing I can think is like, okay, he's not going into the attic because he just cannot be bothered to go up another flight of stairs. That's the only thing that I could think could justify not going into the attic. But Julia sure seems to go in there a lot. Yeah, and then when she goes in there, she hears the heartbeat going, which stands out. And then, I mean, that first time, dude, I met as a kid, I jumped. Yeah. I can remember distinctly when she could hear what's going on, and that thing starts clunk, 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 across, across the, the floor. floor. <laughs> and he calls her name. Yeah. Because, I mean, as a kid, you don't know what it is, but when you hear it, you're like, oh, that's – it's a, it's a human, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's not, you know, he, he calls her by Julian and then she realized that it's this disfigured form of Frank that's not all together. Yeah. That's the best way. He's just a slimy, gooey mess. I, I don't even know what part of the body you would call that we see because we later see muscle tissue, but I don't know what that is. Is that the fascia, the stuff that's under the Yeah. Muscle? I mean, I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, whatever it is looks great. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if that's really what's underneath all of our uh, flesh and blood and veins and all of that, but it's enough to freak me the hell out as a kid. Yeah, but we find out that, you know, she believes that it's Frank, and he tells her that that just that little bit of blood got him that far. Mm-hmm. So he needs more. So, and she's scared at first. I mean, she's, I mean, I'd be freaked out. I mean, I know she's had these lustful thoughts for Frank, and that's why he's there, but just the fact that, you know, some, this creature is telling you, hey, you need to bring me more people so I become whole mm-hmm. so hey we can go bang again because that's basically what it's all about because right. they just want to hook back up so she's like damn well and that's uh, what i mean about the nature of of uh julia here is is she finds all of this out and she's on board i mean it takes her a minute to buy into yeah. it you can tell she's flustered by what she's seeing but uh yeah. if it means she can have that frank d again um yeah. she's gonna go get a hammer and knock some dudes out I mean, you're you're willing to kill people to get some, you know some freaking deep dicking from Frank over here. Maybe the guy should have just been a porn star or something. Yeah. So, but yeah, we see her because she's laying in bed thinking about what's going on, and then when she does, she says, "I'm gonna do it." And, yeah. But I want to get to one little thing in here because we you know we're talking about Clive Barker. Uh, not only is he a writer, but he's an artist. Mm-hmm. You know, he does artwork and stuff like that. There's this one sequence. It's right after this scene where uh, it's Kirsty in a dream. Yeah. Does it not feel like he's just trying to be artful oh, there yeah, with sure. the whole feathers and the thing? And then you see the sheet with the, the blood coming through it and you hear the baby cry. At first thought, because uh, we found out earlier that Kirsty's, you know, because the movers say, hey, is that uh, your daughter? I said, yeah, well, she gets her mom's looks and he says her mom's dead. Yeah. So I kind of thought with the baby, it's like, is this her having a dream sequence about her mom dying either? like she saw her mother die or get killed or something, but we later find out it, it all of a sudden it pops up, which is another kind of jump scare. It's her dad's disfigured face. Yeah. It's all gooey and nasty. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I that's just, one aspect of this movie that I think is, is kind of odd and doesn't really give you a, a very clear answer on is we're, we're introduced to Kirsty. She's not with her dad. I mean, she's a grown, she's, she's a grown person. So she probably has her own, but there's this whole exchange where that she says that she got a room in town or something. Um, maybe it's now that they've moved out of the house or wherever they were at, like they decided to split ways. Uh, you can tell that, you know, the dad, Larry wants Kirsty to come like 
see the house and all this stuff. Yeah, like, it's almost like he's he, he's not okay with the fact that she's flew the nest. I feel as there is a major history that we don't know of between her and Julia. I well, I was gonna say I feel like there's a major history between her and Frank. Oh yeah, that's for sure. We definitely figured that out uh, later. But I'm just like just because of that phone call, and even when. You know, it's like she's like they don't like each other. Like she's the wicked stepmother type thing. Yeah, and you can. There's an exchange between Larry and Kirsty later when he's asking her to come over, and you know, try and make friends and all of that. So I think it may just be the stepmother aspect of that that I think is is there. But uh, it's obvious that there's a history between Kirsty and Frank as we go through this. Well, there's a really cut scene where where Kirsty did come to the house. She visited and she, she was leaving. And there's a half part of Frank on the stairs, mm-hmm. and he goes, Kirsty. And you're like, oh, whoa, that's kind of creepy. You know, like he knows the name, and it's like there's something in his voice is like, ooh, I yeah. have to see Kirsty again. So you're kind of like, okay, Uncle Frank. Well, that's where like her 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 dreams and visions that she has in this, and there's a, constantly a baby crying. Like it can be read a few different ways, you know. Um, it could be that yeah, uh, her mother died when she was giving birth to her, and that's kind of what all that represents. I was starting to think watching it this time that something happened with Frank and Kirsty that led to a pregnancy that had to be either aborted or given away or something like that you never know because there's that part where she first comes to the house and she's just kind of looking at the house like yeah. there's bad memories and that. maybe that's why she wanted the room she didn't want to be there with julia and there's just some haunting memories of this place because yeah. it was the family homestead so she probably went there as a kid with the whole family and everything so yeah might be that's a good i never thought of that point that's a good one josh i mean i'm i'm really just kind of making up my own little thing here but it, it seems like they're alluding that that could be a possibility like something like that may have happened between that's why this family is so separated and and kind of apart from each other is because something did happen within the family that split them apart and frank might have been the cause of that you know and and that kind of leads to another part of this movie i mean like we've talked about already this is very it's it's gory it's it's torturous and it's it's very sexual the The thing about it sexual yeah yeah the the thing about it being sexual though is it's not it's not one of those like at least for me watching it it's not one of those that's like a sexy sexual it's it's it is a dirty perverted like it just feels nasty it's got that snuff film type feel you know, like that whole eight millimeter movie yeah. with Nicolas Cage thing or what was it? Nicolas Cage? Was that? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just that dirty, nasty underground, you know, like that, the whole SNM bondage lifestyle. Yeah. And then they throw the gooiness of the horror and then death and demons. Yeah. Yeah. But even that opening scene where she, or Frank grabs the box, you see how dirty and nasty and grimy his fingernails yeah. are when he grabs, he's like, this is just going to be a dirty movie. No, I do like when, when movies, they, they put those details in front of you like they mm-hmm. don't shy away like they they will show you when people are dirty like and it's it's shown through the fact that they've got dirty nasty fingers and stuff like that like i like the way they portray that in movies uh, a lot of the time yeah well right here is uh we get uh julie out helping frank picks up her first john mm-hmm. <laughs> quote unquote at the thing brings him back to the house and uh she's pretty handy with a hammer maybe she should have took up carpentry yeah I think she could drive some nails pretty good. I mean, because she fucks up that guy's face. Yeah, big time. 
It's a good makeup shot too. Yeah. I mean, a nice disfigured jaw lip area when she waxing with a hammer. That was um one of the scenes that had to be cut down because they had shot angles of it to where the the hammer was actually hitting the guy in the in the in the head yeah. and they had to cut away from it to get away from that NC17 rating. Also like the kills that she does to to feed Frank like we're supposed to be like one, one of the guys was supposed to be fully nude and they wanted they didn't want that, so they had to go back and shoot it again with the guy clothed. So I guess, I mean, it's really like they could only be so far with the sexuality in this because the gore factor was so high. Yeah, that's true. She knocks him out, and we get Frank crawl across the floor, and you see him push his fingers, like, into the guy's head to suck him dry. Yeah. Dude, how many times have you ever drank, like, a glass of chocolate milk, and you get to the bottom of the cup, and you're like, you know, like that, you know, trying to get... That sound that he makes every time after I heard that, if I drink anything that you slurp with the straw, you're like, oh, my God, this Hellraiser noise. (laughs) (laughs) This is disgusting. Oh, God. Oh, that noise. I mean, I know it's not probably the best Foley noise uh, ever for sucking someone dry out of their fluids so you can regenerate. But it definitely left a mark with me because every time I hear anybody slurp with a straw or something, I automatically think of that noise because you hear it two or three times mm-hmm. very prominently you hear that so. and, I, and you know i don't they don't really give us any kind of explanation as to like how this works for frank he just knows he needs blood and it makes him stronger every time he gets more um it's it's one of the it's like it's, the, it's like the question how many licks does it take to get the center of a tootsie <laughs> pop like how, how many dudes are you gonna have to drain before you're back to where you need to be like and and i like that julia gets to that point at, at some point in the movie she's like you told me I wouldn't have to do this this much, you know, like I'm, you start to see that she does have a little bit of a conscience and she's not okay with doing this all the time, (laughs) but just the fact that she's able to go, go along with it as many times as she does is scary enough. But yeah, I just like the, um, I mean, we've talked about the makeup or even the makeup, because after the the first gooey Frank, we get the second one and Mm -hmm. then, uh, where he's got, you could kind of see some of the veins from the forehead, yeah, into the, and like uh, the jaw, the jaw bone, and the, the jaw bones, the chest, and all. I mean, that stuff is great. And then, uh, I mean, it stands out. I mean, it's definitely memorable. But then we also get Frank for the first time mentioned the Cenobites. Yeah. So we find out that there's something up. I mean, if, for a first watch, you're thinking, well, maybe that's the people he that were at the beginning of the movie that showed up. Yeah, I've you got a know. clip of uh, Frank explaining the box and stuff, and I'd like to oh. play that. of heaven or hell I didn't care which I thought I'd gone to the limits I hadn't the Cenobites gave me an experience beyond the limits where we actually get a name for the Cenobites here indivisible I love love that pain pleasure Sound effects here. I mean, with that like circusy music in the background too.
They'll never find us. There you go. She lays it out. She's like, I'm, yep, we're, we're going to do this. We're into this stuff. We're, we, I'm into this kinky stuff, you know. But, and, but and it, that's ugh. the thing, like, when you get introduced to the fact that Julia and Frank have been having this affair, like, it's not because Frank has charmed her. It's because Frank is dominating her. Oh, and, yeah. like, he's, he's, he's threatening her with a knife, but you can tell she's into it. And he, you know, cuts the cuts the dress off of her, and that's when they, you know, have their premarital, you know, affair with the with on top of the wedding dress. Yeah, I mean, not only is I mean, she's obviously cheating on her soon to be husband because I mean, Frank uh, Frank is there for the wedding, so this is like the day before or something. Yeah, you know, and she just met Frank mm-hmm. that day, but I guess is just this this overbearing sexuality and his dominance to her and her being i mean i think she enjoyed it because obviously we see with larry she isn't she don't get that right so therefore she's enjoying this of somebody else kind of telling her what to do i mean because he grabs her and forcefully kisses her that first time when Mm -hmm. back a few scenes back so she he's basically taking over he says hey i'm getting this and this is what's going to happen and you're going to do it and then we later find you know she will do anything for him and he's like anything you know yeah, that was back when he was still alive. So, mm-hmm. but I want to talk about the creepy guy at the pet store. I honestly don't know what purpose this guy serves other than to be creepy. That's what I've never figured out because earlier in the movie, it's her and uh Stevie Steven, mm-hmm. the guy that she's kind of flirting with. Yeah, which I come I, I later. I mean, it's kind of cool. I found it out that if you can flip a, a cigarette back and forth with your tongue, you can pick up women. I thought that was so <laughs> terrible. It's I like, was just, I, I don't like, think that would impress anyone. <laughs> I'm like, you know, because Kirsty's pretty attractive to me. She's hot. Yeah. I, I've I mean, always thought she, we was, haven't uh, talked much about Kirsty. Like uh, Ashley Lawrence. That's yeah. right. Ashley Lawrence. She is, she's adorable in this. She's, she's, she's gorgeous. And she fits the part of the daughter very well. When they were walking earlier in the movie, the creepy guy standing in, like in a doorway, mm-hmm. watching them walk by and Kirsty sees him. Yeah. Well, then we get her cut that she just got a new job at the pet store, and you kind of see him walk by. You're like, oh, it's that creepy guy again. Mm-hmm. But when she walks up, and you're like, what is he doing? That part where he turns around with all those crickets on his hand yep, and everything, is, and then bites into him. Oh, my God. And then they're all, like, crawling in his beard. I just don't really know. I mean, obviously, he's something. Maybe he's tied into the, the story with Kirsty. But, I mean, we later find out it's like frank was meant to have the box mm-hmm. so maybe it's something with his whole family is tied all together and we have you know demons or entities watching the whole family I yeah know. i don't i don't know they definitely don't do anything to try and give you any inkling of why this guy is following her um why he ends up being what he ends up being in the end of this movie. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, it, it is the biggest mystery of this movie for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Him eating the crickets is, is nasty. I mean, they're just going for everything gross they can give you in this. Yeah. I mean, you we know. got all the gooiness and now we got eating bugs. We have maggots, mm-hmm. you know, but we get to Julia has now killed. I think the, the last guy she he was supposedly needing because I think this is third this is the third one. Isn't well, it? I think this is where she becomes very uncomfortable because she's like, "You told me I wouldn't have to do much more than this." I um, but I, that's the other thing too is I don't know how Frank knows just how long it's going to take for the again. It's it's the how many licks does it take to get to the center of a tootsie pop? Like, how does he know 
when enough is going to be enough. Like, it, or like he's now a being that's come back to life from feeding on people's blood. Like this might mm-hmm. be something he has to do all the time. Like some sort some form of vampirism. Vampire type. I do want to point out one little thing. Cause we get this montage of all that stuff that's going on with her killing people. There's a shot of her. She's sitting on the couch with her legs at this end. And she has that freaking red hair pushed up to the top, like a mohawk, like yeah. Gozer. Mm-hmm. For, and you, I even wrote here, the ultimate 80s bitch look. Yeah. I mean, it, it's almost <laughs> like her, the way she evolves in this movie is her hair kind of shows where she evolves. Attitude. To. Yeah. yeah like, she's got attitude now. She's like, fuck you, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you mentioned Larry, I want to talk about almost famous. Almost oh. famous. Yeah, I know that, dude. I don't know them. I know her. You, haven't you ever heard of that guy? What, that guy who was in that movie that was out last year? The only person I could really, you know, kind of associate with something that Andrew or Andrew Robinson. Robinson. That's what I have is almost famous. I mean, I, I remember him before this when I saw him in this. I remember because uh, my mom loved Dirty Harry movies and mm-hmm. he was a bad guy in one of the Dirty Harry movies. Yep. And he was in another. Uh, he was in, uh, was it the one with Jim Carrey, I think. The Deadpool. Oh, yeah, the Deadpool. That's right. Yeah. And yeah he was in Pumpkinhead 2, uh, Cobra. Which maybe we'll talk about that movie one day. Yeah, we so will definitely be talking Cobra one day. Yeah, and Child's Play 3, of all things. Yeah, so, he was the demented barber in that. I remember yeah. him there. But yeah, I mean, you look there, everybody in, in these movies, their main focus that they had was they were in Hellraiser movies. Yeah, I mean, Kirstie, the the the, the young lady who played Kirstie, that's, that's what she's known for is she's the Hellraiser girl. Yeah, I mean, um, she she was in Warlock Three, Creep Show, two thousand nineteen. So she was in a newer Creep Show movie. Mm-hmm. Or the, the I had show. heard that she's been doing some some more recent stuff, and I think I heard that she may be coming back for Hellraiser. I'm not. Ooh, sure. is she gonna play Julia's character? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I don't. Don't hold me to that. I, you can't. Don't. Don't fact check me because I think I heard something about she's associated with the remake that's coming up or reboot, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But uh, I, I can't, I can't say for sure that that's a All thing. Right. I think I heard that though. But check this out. The, the, the lady that plays Julia, Claire Higgins. I mean, mm-hmm. she did Hellraiser one and two, but she has been in the, as of recently, the golden compass. And she was in ready player one. Really? And I'm like, I, now I have to go back. I just watched ready player one. It was on TV today. Now I have to go back and find her character. <laughs> I'm well, like, really? Yeah. Julia's in this movie? Anybody so. could be anybody in that movie. There's so much CG stuff, yeah. you know. But, but she's been in a couple, uh, a few newer movies that are actually known. But mm-hmm. uh, but I would think, like, I definitely agree. Almost Famous, Andrew Robinson, Larry's character. Uh, yeah. I think he would be that under, I mean, well, you could always say Doug Bradley because most people know Pinhead Doug Bradley. But yeah, but I mean, he kind of suffers from the same thing as, uh, as, as Claire Higgins is. I mean, he's known for being Pinhead. I mean, I think if anybody saw Doug Bradley, like Doug Bradley is in Nightbreed, but yep. he's not like you don't notice him because he doesn't have pins in his face, you know, <laughs> and he's What's funny? not pale white. Yeah, what's funny is most of the Cenobites were both in Hellraiser 1 and 2 and Nightbreed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, hey, we're going to make this other movie over here. Why don't you come and do this one too? So yeah. I mean, we'll this. talk about Nightbreed probably here on the horror section because I don't see that uh, one being a, a movie of the week for I, us. I like Nightbreed. Uh, that's a that's a great movie because we could talk about the, uh, was it the producer's cut? And then yeah. there's a, another cut and then mm-hmm. another cut and totally different endings. That'd be a good Yep, one. I've got the Scream Factory edition that has both both cuts on it. So I would I would like we could do that one as like a feature. It could be like a we could break down both 
both uh, versions and yeah. see what the differences are and stuff. Yeah, we need to give Clive Barker some love. I mean, we love our John Carpenter, but we've been on the John Carpenter thing. So if y'all are listening, we've probably got some more out there popping up too. Mm-hmm. So, I want some more Clive. We could do some Clive. I mean, he didn't do a lot of big ones, but I mean, he, he was involved in some big horror characters of our lives. And I mean, Candyman and then, of course, Pinhead, stuff like that. So definitely horror icons. Yeah, but we talked earlier about uh, Larry and Kirstie, and they have kind of a weird relationship. And we we know that there's something going on between her and Julia. And we talked about him wanting to kind of make friends with her. Unfortunately, yeah. when they decide to go down that road, and she decides to try and go over and uh, make friends with Julia, uh, she finds out that Julia is not a very good person, which kind of reassures everything she's probably been feeling about her. Yeah. Uh, but. Oh, oh. Okay, this is the last guy because, yes, yeah, right, when Kirstie shows up, she sees Julia bringing a guy into the house. So mm-hmm. this is supposed to be the last sacrifice type thing. It's supposed to be, quote-unquote. We'll get to quote that Quote-unquote, quote, yes. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, she blatantly sees Julia taking a man into their house, and it's like, whoa, uh, what the fuck is going on here? Uh, but I do like that they figure this out. Um, I, I like I like Kirstie's reaction to what happens and finding out that Frank is a part of all of this. And that really kind of gives us more to cement that there was something that happened between the two of them because she's, I mean, naturally she'd be freaking out because of what she's looking at. Frank's not very attractive, probably wasn't very attractive in the first place, but um, now she knows he's back and it's like, oh, well, this is where I'm going to have some problems. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to have some problems here. I want to mention one thing before we get this. There was a scene right before this that I think it was only in the movie for a disgusting factor. It's where Larry and Julie are making it on the bed and Frank comes out of the closet and you think that he's going to stab Larry, uh-huh. but he just takes that freaking switchblade and slices open that rat Yes, over the top of the yes. bed and then flips it out. I just had to mention that part before we get too far because that's one of those parts that has stuck with me because the, the oh, because I mean, him even cutting through the, the, the fake rat, it looks real. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> and he flips it at her, and I'm like... Ugh. I mean, we've been talking about how gross this movie is. I mean, really, the, this movie is effects for me. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's, what, it's what this movie is... What's best about this movie for me? And maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but yeah, I mean, this rat scene's gross. Um, we're still not done with how gross this movie's going to oh, get. Oh, no. It's not, we're not even nowhere near. But we get the thing where she sees that Frank's quote-unquote alive. Mm-hmm. He's, just, he's still a bloody mess, basically, because now he's covered in... T- at least his ribs are finally covered. He's covered in uh, muscle tissue. Got a few Well, this things. is also when they've he's got dressed ears him. now. They've dressed him in the in the suit at this point, or the, yeah. the shirt, at least. And I really like that they put... They put clothes on him, but the blood's still like still soaking, soaking through them. Through. And it, again, like just the gross factor of all of this. It's about it's like I said, all the gooiness and stuff. But yeah. uh, she's fighting with Frank. Uh, obviously, he's going to take pain easily because he has no exterior skin to protect him from her hitting him in the nerves. Because there was a part earlier where he was talking about his nerves were on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he was starting to feel and taste things. Yeah, but she hits him, and she finds the puzzle box on the floor. Yep, and. Obviously, Frank is scared about her touching that box, and she throws it out the damn window, and he freaks out. But she, but because of that, it gives her the ability to run out of the house. She grabs the box and takes off. Yeah. And then I guess she, I never really got it when I first watched it, but she's just walking down the street, and I think it's more because she's still in shock. Of I mean, we see these pictures of her looking at Frank 
flashing into her head. Yeah. Like I said, what you were talking about, something happened with her and Frank. And I think it was so traumatic. That's what she's doing. She's kind of going to the state of almost like becoming catatonic. Right. I mean, what she's seen combined with what she's probably got going through her head because of what happened between the two of them. Like, yeah. And it is a kind of jarring scene because you have her walking down the road. She passes out and she wakes up in a hospital. She wakes up. She's in the hospital, which I still believe it is the hospital from part two. But, uh, she almost kind of doesn't even, I guess, because it was such a traumatic experience. She doesn't even know why she ran away because the doctor tells her, well, you, you were clutching onto this, like with mm-hmm. basically a death grip. And she doesn't even know, like right. she said, I don't have a clue, but you know, they said the cops are coming, they lock her in her room. Mm-hmm. And then of course, you know, the whole uh, curiosity killed the cat. What does she start doing? Let's play with this little box yeah. thing. And then we, find out what happens when you play with things you're not supposed to. Right. And I've got a clip of it. Let's play it real quick. All right. I love how he grabs her in the mouth. some explanation as to who the Cenobites are and what their purpose is a little bit there. Not much really, but. And not only that, uh, we get some of the, the most memorable pin headlines ever through that whole section. And then one other section toward the end. And that'll bring us to a bigger quote. You're going to need a bigger quote. I know you got a shitload of them. So I'll let you go first. Well, I, I got them, but I also I have the tagline. I found a tagline. All right. For Hellraiser, and I'm trying to find it again. Okay, here we go. Which is kind of funny that the tagline is basically one of the quotes from the movie. <laughs> but it says, uh, demon to some, angels to others. What we just heard. Mm-hmm. It said, it will tear your soul apart. Yeah. So I was like, okay. That's a good tagline. That's a good tag. There were some other ones, but I don't think those are actually taglines. Something's like Satan's coming, something like that. I was like, that, I don't remember ever seeing those, and I've seen many of these movie posters. I think I have the movie poster here yeah, somewhere. But, uh, yeah, just that whole section right there, you got the box. You opened it. We came. Uh, no tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. Yep. You know, and then the, one of my favorite lines is, we will tear your soul apart. Yep. You know, I love that one. That's one of my favorite things. 
I mean, there's another Hellraiser movie that's got some really good ones in it too, but we're just redoing this one. We'll stick with this. So what you got, Josh? Uh, a lot of the stuff that you had, I wrote down, but I like uh, at the end, which we're getting to when when they actually get Frank and he says, "Jesus, wow, wow." <laughs> And just the visual of him saying it with his face all splayed open with the books in it and stuff like, oh, God, it's a, it's yeah. a visual and an audio thing. It's like it just sticks with you. Um, I opened the show with this one. What's your pleasure, sir? I like mm-hmm. that one. And uh, this is another one that kind of was cemented in this movie is come to daddy. I was about to say where you just the whole Frank creepy uncle, uncle yeah. Frank. Kirsty, it's Uncle Frank. Come to Daddy. Like it's oh god, it's just so creepy, dude. <laughs> yeah, that this there's I mean, if you're a horror movie fanatic and you ever anybody ever says something about Hellraiser, you're gonna quote at least three or more of these lines we just said. Oh, yeah. And there's still uh there's still I mean we have I love that one. We have such sites to show you. Yeah, that's one you use quite a bit. Like I hear yeah, that I, one. Love, I hear you say that one a lot. Oh yeah, when somebody says something about looking at something, we have such sites to show you. Mm-hmm. I do it all that's that's part of the Jason that's part of the Jasonism. It's in my rotation heavily. Yeah. So but uh yeah, I I still love that scene from Hellraiser three. Which one? When he's in the church and he's and he crucifies himself oh, on yeah. the thing. And he looks there and he goes, I am the way. Yeah. That's probably one of my favorite pinhead lines of all the movies. I love that shot. So, but, uh, yeah, but I think yeah. we got some, we get, like I said, just that one section is pretty much most of the quotes. In the yeah. whole movie. I mean, th- this that. movie's definitely got some memorable horror movie quotes for sure. Stuff that we use quite often to this day. Nice. Uh, but, in the scene we just watched, uh, essentially Kirsty makes a deal with the Cenobites that, hey, somebody got away from you. I can I can bring him back to you. I can make a deal with you. I can bring you this one that escaped you, and you can let me go. And they, surprisingly enough, give her the opportunity to do that. And I, it, it almost seems like it's an ego thing because it's like, oh, wait, somebody did get away from us. We got to get him back. Like, <laughs> it seems like they got to cover their ass. So they're like, oh, yeah, take us to Frank and we'll let you go. Uh, yeah. it's like we got to go get him upper management is not going to be happy guys right we cannot lose another one this can't be you know the 200 year ago thing where we lost those two people we cannot lose one this time we could get fired yeah it's kind of like it kind of <laughs> it kind of mimics the story of the the preacher comic book and the tv show and stuff like that's mm-hmm. the thing with that is uh uh, uh something gets away from heaven and someone let it get away yeah. And they have to go cover their ass to get it back before God finds out it's gone. No, gone. And uh, yeah. that that's kind of what it echoed for me this time. It was like, yeah. oh, that's the one thing I do want to bring up about this movie is it's very, it, 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 it made Pinhead and the Cenobites iconic, but they're in this movie very, very little. Oh, yeah. Very. It's, it's, well, if you think about it, even some of the other horror icons, I think we mentioned it in, uh, one other time. We're talking about how long Freddy Krueger was in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah very minimal screen time mm-hmm. but it, but a memorable person and that's what pinhead and the cenobites do here yeah i mean even as a kid i knew all of the cenobites names mm-hmm. other than just pinhead because yeah. it's like oh you read them in fangoria you're like what's this their name because we didn't have internet back then so you're like <laughs> digging through you're like oh thank oh that's what their names are okay they never said what their name was mm-hmm. they get there and what's his name steve shows up kirsty has gone door's locked 
Mm-hmm. And Pinhead and his buddies are now trying to go cover up the whole thing with Frank. Well, so. now you've got Julia and, and Frank. They know that Kirsty knows and she's going to do something and, and find them out. So, but Frank still, even though this was supposed to be the last kill Julia had to do for him, Frank still doesn't have skin. Yeah, I think he was playing her the whole entire time. He knew he had to have the bodies to get to where he was. Mm-hmm. But remember, he kept trying to want to kill Larry anyway. Uh-huh. I think he knew that he had to have skin. Yeah. And he was like, either way, I'm killing my brother because I got to have skin. Mm-hmm. So, and he, and to, to be honest with you, like you, you know, it's going to happen uh, from the time they start talking about what they're going to do. And it really like they've they've done a well enough job establishing the relationship between Kirstie and Larry in this movie that it's a little heartbreaking when you find out that they they killed Larry and now Frank has his skin on. Yeah, because was it Julie is talking to Larry. Larry shows up and she's like, well, like come upstairs or something. Let me show you something. Uh-huh. And then the next shot is her sitting there and you all you see is hands coming downstairs and he's like pushing his fingers together mm-hmm. like he's popping his knuckles and setting. You're like, did they just kill Larry? <laughs> yes, you know, yes, they did. <laughs> and then he's yeah, you're like, oh boy. So I guess he's trying to, you know, here his fingers were not as long as mine or something. I got to get that skin pushed down in here. It's like when you're trying to put gloves on, you got to, you got to put your fingers (laughs) between each other so you can get it on real good. And I like the shot where it shows, um, you know, we've got Andrew Robinson portraying Frank, but he turns to the camera and does that little thing where he moves his eye. Like it's like out of place, you know? Yeah. It's like he maybe had like a scar or something there, but, uh, but the main part is is right before that is Julia and Frank got what they want because as soon as he's got skin, it's brown chicken brown cow time. Mm-hmm. They go straight for it, buddy. I mean, don't yep. even waste waste the time. Like, hey, let's do this. That's why I freaking hooked you up. I want some more of that Frank loving. He wants some more of that Julia Gulia. <laughs> it was the eighties, though. I mean, people. I mean, I, 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 you know, when I watch eighties movies, sometimes now, like, I'll watch it going. Did people really find this attractive back then? Like maybe, maybe at that time when we were seven and 11 years old or however, whatever that is. And we're watching it. Like we don't find Julia attractive, but maybe back then, you know, maybe, maybe she was what everybody was uh, happy to see that movie about. We have no idea. Cause that's right after Kirsty had showed up mm-hmm. and she thinks she's talking to her dad, yeah. but it's, it's now Frank wearing dad skin but the thing is this this is a problem i had with this movie after watching it for years is does she not see that he has skin peeled up around his hairline his Mm -hmm. ear has skin hanging from it and it's bloody and gooey yeah Kirsty doesn't even pay attention to that yeah i know i notice it every fucking time i see him because it's fucking gross (laughs) yeah it's a she's oblivious to it but then you're like yeah you get the whole thing sit down like let me pop this back in the spot right Mm -hmm. here and you remind me of a, a spot earlier when Frank is still like re, re, regenerating his his uh, body parts and everything, but like he's almost fully formed. But like he he's sneaking around the house at one point, and he's got yeah. the suit on, but he's still got like blood and and goo dripping off yeah, of his face as he's walking around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's again, this is a gooey movie. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, I mean, I thought the thing had it because we just watched that but i mean i've watched hellraiser many times but when we're trying to do it for these uh episodes we do you really pay even more attention uh-huh. and i'm like i want to know how many gallons of this goo they went through for probably this. a lot you're like oh my god this 
<laughs> I think I read something at one time. Didn't they have to go out? I think it's KY. It might be. I think I read a thing like they had to go. I forgot how many cases or whatever KY they had to use. I like I don't remember it for taking for my notes here, but it's like I remember reading that like years ago about how much they had to go into town and buy it all up just so they could shoot the movie. Yeah. But Kirstie's not stupid. She figures this out, and Frank gives himself away. Oh yeah, because he she's... pulls the he pulls the come to daddy line, and it's creepy. Yeah, because it's her dad. I mean, it's not her dad, but it's her dad that she yep. sees. But that whole come to daddy, and I I wonder here because you know they've got what they need now, and Kirstie knows. So like, are they just trying to get her in so they can take her take care of her and and be done, or are they really trying to like recruit her for something? I feel like I feel like Frank is almost trying to recruit. Kirsty for something i think he was just using julia because like the scene right here we get is where he goes i mean because Kirsty scratched the fuck out of his face ripped his new larry suit up yeah and uh when he leans at her like is he really wanting to kill her but because i mean he really leans into it when it's julia and stabs her and then he sucks her dry to have some more i guess mm-hmm. maybe to heal his face or something yeah but that's the thing is i i thought this home after watching this several times Obviously, like you said, there's something that he has for for Kirsty, uh-huh. and so therefore he is. I think that was his goal. Is once he knew that she was available and around, it was like I'm going to use her to get where I need to. But my goal is Kirsty. Yeah. I want her for my own because of you know whatever happened in their past or whatever like that. He had a taste of something and he been yeah. after it the whole entire time. So. Could be like I, re- I think I read that whole scene with you know. Julia is holding on to Kirsty, and yeah. I think he genuinely like maybe actually going for Kirsty, but when she does her, you know, bob and weave and gets out of the way, yeah. and that knife goes into Julia, I think at that point he's just like, yeah, well, you really don't mean that much to me, so I'm just gonna lean into this and and yeah. get some more uh, go go juice from you and <laughs> be done. Is it like a is it like a Slurpee? Is that cherry flavored? <laughs> Yeah, it's just I don't know. I that's because that's the thing. Because like even from like earlier in the movie, when he's still not even nowhere near to being formed, and he hears Kirsty, and he's like Kirsty, mm-hmm. and it's like he knows she's there, she's around, she's available, and I really think that almost kind of helps him focus. I mean, it was Julia's lust and want to help bring him back along with Larry's blood, mm-hmm. but I really think his end game is that's what he wanted when he knew that she was available. Yeah. But if you think about it, if you if you could have Kirsty or Julia, which one would you take? <laughs> Just on a visual aspect. <laughs> so come on, man. But, yeah, I mean, I think they leave a lot of that open to interpretation. Like there's a few different ways you can read it. I kind of hope that they, you know, if they do reboot this and kind of stick with the same storyline, I hope they still kind of leave that ambiguous and don't like feed it to you on a silver platter like they have started doing with movies. Yeah, this list. Let us think about it. Which was like ballsy one. in 87 because they were, they were handing things to people on a platter then because people wanted to be pleased by what they were watching. I think yeah. that's another reason this movie might not have been as high a stature as something like Friday the 13th or, or, or uh, Nightmare on Elm Street or something is because they did. It is very bleak and gross and it, yeah. it doesn't invite it doesn't invite everyone in like some of those movies does. Like, you got to be a special kind of fan to watch a movie like this. Well, you think about it, Pinhead, the Pinhead, the icon he is came out in 87. They already had seven Friday the 13th movies by this point. Right. So he, he had a lot of catching up to do anyway. 
<laughs> Jason been around for a while. I had two or three Freddy movies, I think. But I, like I when every time I watch this now, like this was not one that I watched a lot, and for reasons we're still going to talk about. Uh, but like I forgot that there's this whole scene where uh, Frank is stalking her through the house, and it's mm-hmm. very it's very uh, like slasher movie style. Oh yeah, and, and my my favorite part of the whole thing is when she goes into the room to hide from him, and we see what Julia has been doing with these bodies. Oh yeah. Another thing that kind of bothers me about this movie is how could how did you not smell what's going on in this house? But especially from the body that we see here, because Kirstie is sneaking around trying to stay out of Frank's sight, and this body falls over and like maggots spill all over her hand. And oh this, yeah, it pours out of the guy, and his mouth is all disfigured, and it just like a yeah. pound of those things fall out, and in our shirt. With the mouth being disfigured, it leads me to think it's the first victim, you know, because. Be. But like, yeah, like there's no way someone didn't smell what was going on. In there. Can you smell? There's our uh, westling reference. That's the only one you get for all of VHS files. Well, I don't know. Eric, <laughs> Eric might bring oh, up some Eric wrestling does. stuff. Yes. I'm sorry, Eric. I know you like wrestling. Sorry, bro. But uh, I mean, but we find, you know, Frank soon finds out that Kirstie came with an ace in, in the hole because um, she made a deal with the Cenobites. And uh, I, I like that they're confused when they show up that the body on the floor is Frank. Like someone has already killed Frank before they could get there. And this is before she even knows that uh, Frank is, or her dad is now Frank. Yeah. This know. actually took place a little bit before where we're at yeah. now, because they said, we want the the person who did this. Uh-huh. And, and that's when she, that's when she finds out that her dad is now Frank is because she thinks that they're going to take her dad in place and yeah. wait, Oh, it's not dad. It's, it's uncle Frank. Yeah. Because after the cat and mouse of them chasing each other around mm-hmm. and she gets him into the room and that's when, you know, the, the floorboards and the lights are happening. But what's funny is Frank has seen this before and he's like, what's going on? Yeah. He seems very confused by all of it, but it's happened to him before. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, he's wanting to obviously kill Kirsty because she, basically tricked him into being there and everything. And he goes to stab her and the freaking chain comes around and grabs him by the hand. So yep. uh, watching this, you're like, Hey, it's almost like Pinhead's the, the hero. A little bit in this movie. <laughs> in like, this movie, I will, I will, I will go ahead and point. To, well, actually, no, we'll have to talk about this on for, for part two as well, because the yeah, things, the things that go down with Pinhead in that movie are, mm-hmm. are quite crazy. Yeah. Oh, um, another line, the doctor. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love that line in that movie too. Um, but but yeah, he's kind of an anti-hero, sort of both. Even though he kind of flips the script on uh-huh. Kirstie, because I think he lied to her. But, right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's where she, it throws all of this out. Is like she she held her into the bargain, but it seems as though that they're like, nope, you've seen us. That it's one of those things where it's like you've seen us. We've got to take you back. There's no way we can let you go. It's so memorable. Sticks in my head is the all the chains with the hooks start coming out. And they're just tearing uh, Frank slash Larry's body apart. Uh-huh. And its face is all stretched out. And, you know, this has got to be m- m- a mind fuck. Oh, yeah. Kirsty, Because even though it's Frank, it still looks like her dad. And they're stretching his skin all out and everything. And uh-huh. he's licking. I love it when he licks it. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, right before he says Jesus wept. Yeah, he, he licks his Jesus lips. And it's just, oh, I found dude. out. That is an ad lib line because he really was supposed to say "fuck you," huh. and that is an ad lib line by the actor. He went, "Jesus wept." Well, 
that's a Hon- memorable fucking line right there. Honestly, they they were right to stick with that because I don't think it would have. Uh, yeah, it definitely wouldn't have worked as well in my opinion. But I really like that they flipped the wig on on uh, Kirsty here, and they're like, "Oh no, we're gonna take you back with us." I don't know how she really leans into figuring out that by doing more with the box will make them go away. Like that's another thing they leave very ambiguous here is we don't really know what Kirsty's doing to the box and why it's taking the Cenobites away. Well, the thing is, is I remember she opened the box back at the uh, hospital mm-hmm. and we really don't see the box other than it's seen uh, when she's scared that she's running out because uh deep throat's chasing her up the stairs. Uh-huh. She runs in the room, and now Julia's bodies went from the hallway to being pulled apart by chains in the middle of the bed, and she's holding the box. Yeah. But the box is, I believe it's in the open configuration. So she's trying to close the box. Yeah, because she realized if you, I mean, I'll have to go back and double check, but I believe it's in the open configuration. Uh-huh. And she's trying to shut it, but when, and, and I have to say something about this scene here, when she grabs the box, because this is an iconic shot, period. I mean, it shows up in a lot of, like, horror movie documentaries and sh- famous shots from horror movies, but that part where it's dark behind her and, sh- and all you see is pinhead come up just right behind her. Dude, love that shot. And that's where we get your, 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 your quote. There. We have such sights to show you. I love that back there, but that's when she, fi- but it was crazy. You know, pinhead's our number one guy here, right? I mean, he wasn't at that time, but he kind of is, but he's the first to go when she starts trying to figure out that the box can close uh-huh. it gets him. Uh, then I think she gets a uh, deep throat. Yep. And then that's when our buddy Stevie, Steve, whatever shows up at the house and shit's fucking going nuts. You know, it's like Amityville house here, you know, lights are flashing and everything like this house is <laughs> rocking and falling apart. I kind of wonder if they took some of that. Cause there's kind of a scene at the end of it. It reminds me of like a, an Amityville horror mm. movie type shot. So one thing I found interesting is they take care of Pinhead, Deep Throat, and Chatter, but nothing happens to Butterball. Yeah, well, the, wa- the 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 roof just falls on him. He never really guess, like goes back into the box per se, or whatever well, it is that's happening to them. Well, I guess he would because by the end, when we get to the part that you were wanting to talk about, when she shuts the box, they're all supposed to go back. Yeah. Well, I, they're all gone, and the house is gone. So, like, yeah. it, it takes a lot of stuff with it when it goes. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing I want to talk about, I talk about that shot. There's a shot right before she takes out Chatter of when she's walking backwards, and he's sitting there with that veil. Yeah. That's a cool little artistic shot. Yeah. I like that. It's simple. It's just a really cool uh, shot period for the whole movie. Uh-huh. And then it falls off in course and then she takes him out. So, But then you also, I mean, we haven't really talked about it much. And we'll go ahead and talk about it here. Um, you get this monster, demon, scorpion, thing, majig, whatever. I don't know what this is. Um, we got it earlier in the hospital scene. Yeah. When Kirsty goes through the wall. And this thing starts chasing her down the hall. Could have taken this whole monster out of this movie, in my yes. opinion. Yes, I've never been a fan. I mean, it scared me as a kid because mm-hmm. it's your kid. But after you watch it into your teenage years and 20s and 30s and now in my 40s, you're like, we really could have done without this whole month. We could have had more pinhead here or something. Yeah. Yeah. Even something maybe a little better. I don't know. I can absolutely appreciate what they were trying to do with this. Yeah. But... It is very ambitious. Um, I mean, they're already kind of blowing our minds with the special effects in this movie. I don't feel like this was something that was necessary. And 
partly because it looks pretty cheesy now. I'm sure. I mean, it still has a very uh, creepy factor to it, mm-hmm. but it's one of those that was very ambitious, almost to the fact where they couldn't hide the lines for it because in the mm-hmm. hallway, when it's chasing Kirsty down down that 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 demonic hallway, mm-hmm. you can see the dolly behind it with people pushing it down. Oh the yeah. Hall. Oh, definitely. It's so blatant. Mm-hmm. Like you're like, dude, are they holding up a dolly and just pushing the monster down yep. the hallway? Or is it more Cenobites and this thing's legs are broken and they're helping push it down the hallway? I was trying to make excuses for it to make it work, but no, it's a yeah. And I mean, again, like bad it, shot. This is a short movie, and if you honestly, if you cut that scene out, like if you just went straight to the Cenobites in the hospital, and then after the Cenobites are gone, the house is gone here. Like that demon really is the worst aspect of this movie because it makes no sense. It doesn't really tie into all the demons we've seen so far. And I mean, I don't know. It just, it's definitely the worst part of this movie for me. Yeah. I actually, I will agree and disagree because we're not to the end of the movie yet about what you just said. Yeah. So, (laughs) but yeah, we, she closes the box. Uh, Scorpion Dolly monster Uh (laughs) is, now gone her and stevie have now survived they go out the door but it's cool they go out the door and the door slams behind them and then we get like i said this whole amityville thing these lights come on and uh-huh. things are burning and everything now that's the part i never got over the years when i was younger watching i never knew if did the house burn down or they walked to an empty lot yeah they don't make that very clear i'm i'm assuming that the house just becomes engulfed within the box with everything else but i i don't know like that's just me trying to put puzzle pieces together. Yeah, I mean, it didn't turn into a whole poltergeist thing where the house gets sucked into the ground right. or carry where it gets sucked into the ground. It's like, I've had that confusion. It's like, because you see a chair there on fire, like a dining room chair and other stuff, like the little piles of burning things. But, I mean, you don't realize how long it would take that house to burn to the ground, and this is just right after yeah. them running out. So I kind of wondered that they walk down the road and it's just these things you know because we got some homeless people walking around and they just have stuff burnt burning for warmth or whatever so i never figured that out if somebody's listening to this and they know the real answer let us know clue us in yeah let us know because we don't know everything here and we we also don't know why this homeless guy's here again (laughs) yeah he shows back and like i said she walks up throws the box into the fire and like you said homeless guy cricket man yeah decides to walk and he walks right into the fire it just catches himself on fire. And uh-huh. this is where I was to say I would agree but disagree with about the worst demon of the movie. When he burns and engulfs the fire and he turns to just this skeletal horse head, yeah. goat head thing with the wings, I would have to say that is the worst design. It's a bad it's a bad dissolve from like being on fire to the shot of it being whatever it is and yeah, yeah the skeletal look of it at all like it it's probably the, che- well, it probably is the cheapest effect they use in this. Yeah, because you figured the other one had animatronics and stuff in it. Like this this right here, they probably just were working with wires. Yeah. Because, I mean, there was no internals or anything like that. But, yeah, and then it flies off. And, like I said, to me, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. I almost wonder if this was some, like, afterthought stuff as they were getting toward the end. Uh-huh. And they needed, to, they needed to give you some kind of idea of why the creepy guy was following her around because he's a demon. He was wanting the box because... Uh-huh. Later in the other movies, we find out that the demons just want the box. Right. So I think that's what it was. And then we get the slow fade in of 
a circle, the circle faded into the box sitting on the table again. Yeah, exactly. The same exact table, same exact places we saw it open with, with Frank. Now I wanted to ask you about this because watching it now, especially in a high def version, it looks like the guy sitting there with the box, other than the one that says, what's your pleasure? Mm-hmm. It looks like the doctor from the hospital from earlier. Go back and watch it again and kind of all focus black, on that the, guy. All, the, the black guy, the doctor. Yeah. Go back. Mm. If, 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 you, if you didn't notice that before, go back and watch the end of it again and look at the doctor in, that that's talking to Kirstie in the hospital and then go to that scene. It mm-hmm. looks like it's the doctor. And I think if they were going for that, I think that's pretty cool because the doctor did see the box, you know, and yeah, he, he knows is. there's something up with it. I mean, that's that's it for this movie. I don't know if they would have... I don't know if I would have been happy if they would have stopped it from here and never given us any more Hellraiser movies, but they they did give us two good sequels, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love part two and three. Uh, I can't say much for anything past part three because I honestly have never seen any of those. Don't, don't really have any interest in seeing them either. Now, well, part four, we actually get the uh, the history of how the box was made and what it was made for. Yeah. And the and the family was involved in it and his whole family is basically cursed through time. So that's really about that whole movie is and then we get into some weird outlandish oh it does I mean Pinhead shows up in some of them but I don't th- think he's not even like a major part of them like he is in these three. Yeah. I mean you really think he wasn't much in this one. He's a little bit in two but he is really in part 3. Yeah. Then we get a lot of that so but Well, let's talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of this one. The good, the bad, the ugly. I mean, essentially, we could probably put all of our good stuff together on this one. I mean, the makeup effects, (laughs) the the look of the Cenobites is amazing. Puzzle box is amazing. Uh, the, the, The gore is something to behold in this movie. And, oh, yeah. and it's really kind of like that's that to me, that's what you're watching this movie for is the use of the practical effects and how gory they got with it. The the iconic uh, Cenobite demons that they've created here and that iconic puzzle box is really all the stuff that works mm-hmm. in this for me. Do you have anything other than that stuff? Uh, that, I mean, that's pretty much sums it up. I mean, like this, I mean, because of this movie, we got another major horror icon in Pinhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I mean, is he's such a horror icon? Like I said, that's not even his character's name. The fans gave him that name, and that's what he is synonymous with. Right. So that shows you that he was such a memorable character through these movies. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the gore, everything about it. Uh, I, I like the the storytelling. We don't get Clyde Barker over telling, like giving us like you were talking about all this like exposition type stuff. Uh-huh. I was like, you just kind of you get the the story, and that's it, and it just moves right along. I mean, there's a couple parts in it. It's a little slow, but yeah. it's uh, it's still a great movie. I love it. So, you got anything bad or ugly you want to point out? Uh, bad for me will be yeah. There are aspects of some of the the special effects, like the reverse effects, that don't really hold up. They're, I mean, they're really cool, but compared to today, yeah, they don't hold up as much as they did back then. Uh, ugly, Julia. <laughs> not Fuck very yeah. pc but <laughs> yeah uh, no no i mean just as a person as a whole as her soul and her perseverance uh, yeah 
period is she is just the like i said that she had the ultimate 80s bitch bitch resting face down and i'm not being derogatory to women in any way but i mean that's what she is going for and that's what she's synonymous with is that so and i think if your wife jenny was on here she would probably call her a bitch more than i would <laughs> so <laughs> but yeah that's my ugly julia uh, the, the the bad here for me is the the monster the the scorpion monster thing and the doesn't need to be in the movie uh same thing with the the homeless demon guy like if you were to take the scorpion monster guy out of this and just had the homeless guy like I'd be more willing to accept but the fact that we've got two different demons here that don't really serve much of a purpose other than to just be something else to to, to blow your mind as far as all this story goes yeah. um that's really the stuff that doesn't work well for me and i would say is bad the ugly is is and and i know you hold this movie in a very high regard and you love this movie but i don't really like this movie very much i can i can absolutely get on board and respect that it developed iconic characters and um characters and like props and stuff like that with the box and like it's definitely made its mark on film history and horror movies and stuff like that. I, I'm not denying that it is important in that way, but for me, this movie is just vulgar and gross and I don't enjoy it when I watch it. It's just, <laughs> but that's the whole aspects of what people love it for is this vulgar and gross. Yeah. I mean, again, like I, I do go back to it from time to time just because of the iconic nature of this movie and what it brought to horror. But I ultimately am a film lover and respect it for those reasons. But don't really like the movie per se. It's not one that I enjoy watching when I do rewatch it. It's just that I'm crazy and like to rewatch horror movies and shit like that. But yeah, I mean this this is a very vulgar, dirty, gross movie to me, and that's really the ugliest ugliness for me is that kind of stuff. And Julia. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> well, that brings me to my top kill. Top kill. I mean, I'm not happier than any, anything like I'm more happy when I see Julia die in this movie than anybody else. I won't say it's the top kill of the movie, but it's my favorite kill of this movie because you've seen her. We don't like her as a character. And then when Frank does her the way he does her and then proceeds to just suck all the life out of her. I love I love that. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're getting what you deserve, you bitch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, my top kill would be the obvious is the Jesus web scene. Yeah. I love that when they, because if, even if you watch it, I mean, not only, I mean, just because of what's going on in the iconic little line, he uh, says right there, but you see it as she's turned away. You see the, the body being ripped apart. Mostly his head, his yeah. head is exploding. And then you can see the shoulder pulled this way and the other part of the torso and, you're like, oh, he died horribly. Uh-huh. That is awesome. So right. that's my top kill. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's all, so, I mean, anything with chains ripping you apart, I mean, with the way Frank dies at the beginning of the movie and then they, then Pinhead pieces his face back together on the floor. Yeah. And yeah. That's pretty, too, but I would go with that one. And I agree with you on the Julia one. Yeah. <laughs> that business is up to die. That's going to do it for our discussion about Hellraiser. Uh, one day we will get to Hellraiser 2 and Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. and Hellraiser 15? No, they... I don't know if we'll no, do I'm just that kidding, one. no. Um... We'll, we'll, we'll probably do the, maybe the first three, but we at least will do Hellraiser 2. 
So, but that's another episode of the horror section for you guys. We hope you're enjoying these. We hope all the people that enjoy enjoy horror are enjoying us getting on and talking about it, and maybe not having that big, uh, you know, group discussion like we do on our movie of the week episodes. But me and Jason just kind of letting our love for horror movies go out a little bit. But uh, you know, we've got uh, we've had Eric on our Terrifier episode, which came out a little while back, and. Uh, we know we are going into another horror section episode shortly here, and we're actually going to be bringing Eric back on, and we're talking John Carpenter's The Fog. So you can look forward to that one here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we got three horror sections. I mean, it's been a while since we've done these, so yep. we're hoping you guys are enjoying them. We enjoy them. And uh, like I said, we got our buddy Eric coming in to actually talk with us on these episodes, so it's fun too. But we appreciate you guys listening. That's Keep it up. Right. And if you and if you got any cool horror movies, once again, there may be some stuff that you guys want to hear me and Josh talk about. Email us, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, yep. wherever. Let us know, and we give might us, give it a watch. Give us the we'll, movies. I'd actually like to get something in here that uh, me and you haven't seen and kind of give a review of it or, yeah. or see if we can get Eric on and we can all pick a movie that uh, we all want to see but have never seen, you know, that kind of thing. So well, We kind of did that with the Terrifier episode. That's not something me and Josh have watched yep. over and over again. It was actually a new watch for both of us. So I hope you guys check out that episode, which should be dropping soon. That's right. Until then, coming from the podcast that you should be subscribed to, the VHS Files, be kind. Rewind. Good night. It's over. We have have such sights to show you. (laughs) Get the fuck out! You've been listening to the VHS Files Presents The Horror Section. We drop new episodes every Friday, so make sure you're subscribed and leave us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcast. Interact with us on all social media platforms at VHS Files Podcast. Email us your questions, comments, and movie suggestions at VHS Files Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back. Yeah, if you're having trouble with your dialogue, just throw fuck in there. I don't mind. Yeah, remember, fuck's versatile. It's a pronoun. It's a noun. It's an adjective. It's a verb. You know, just put it in the whole thing. Let's just call the movie fuck. Rob Zombie's new movie, fuck. I think all the gore is getting the Josh and I. But no, we love it, though. But uh, Rob Zombie's sequel to fuck, fuck face. Just be called gooey razor. I don't know. But yeah, this whole movie is gooey. My mind just blanked. I don't know where I was going with that. Or fuck you, too. <laughs> <laughs> I had a point I was going to make, and I cannot remember what the hell it was.